You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a victory edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. It's, it's been a while, guys. It's been a while since we've been able to celebrate. I'm Chris McPherson, alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. Gentlemen, the Eagles beat the New York Jets 24-17. to There was improvement in all three phases. The offense, the rushing game got going. 108 yards on the ground from Ryan Matthews. Defense forced four turnovers. And Darren Sproles was a spark with an 89-yard punt return touchdown. The longest of his career, the second longest return in Eagles history. Certainly getting the Eagles back on track against a team that quite honestly earned my respect. I, I thought the Jets were a very good team. I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with down in the coming weeks. But still, it's very important to see the Eagles finally get in the win column and to build some momentum in a wide open NFC. Yeah, see, Mac, we were talking about it before we started filming this, but the Jets not having Eric Decker, I think, went a long way for the Eagles because Brandon Marshall got his, he had 10 catches close to 100 yards, but that Eagles defense, and we'll talk about it a little bit as we get going here, but uh, they certainly look good. A lot of the new additions came up in big in big ways, and I'm just glad that the Alex Smith curse was lifted So because we hadn't won since I became a co-host on this podcast. So That's very true. We, we weren't bringing it up. We were blaming it on Chris Stevens. We weren't. I, I didn't want to lay the blame at your feet. You mean peaches? Yeah, peaches. Exactly. Producer peaches. <laughs> but you know what? It was it was good though to see the Eagles really take the next step in every phase. I thought that the running game definitely absolutely looked better than what we've seen in the first two weeks. Uh, I thought the defense looked as good as it's looked all season. The, the coverage on the back end, I thought the secondary played as well as they have played yet through three games. So uh, really good to see that development through the uh, through the third game. We're recording this on uh, Monday afternoon following the Eagles win. A uh, little bleary-eyed you look, Fran. A little bit. You know, we were, uh, it was a long weekend. Yeah. A lot, you know, a couple days up in New York. How was the vibe up there with the whole team having to go up there for the team left Thursday evening, I believe, and had to spend time at Monmouth and uh, Miles Austin's old stomping grounds before right. finally making their way to North Jersey? Yeah, it was good. You know, they, uh, I think it was something – it's interesting because – with the team staying here for training camp, you don't really have that vibe of you know packing everything up and, and going to a college campus for, yep. for some time. So having that feel, I think, was interesting. It's interesting because it's the first time we've had a chance to really talk. I mean, usually you come in at you know 6.30 a.m. on Monday following the game to start breaking on the tape. So what I like about this podcast is we're going to delve into three and out and dig deeper into uh, what we liked from the win over the Jets is uh, we haven't heard Fran's takes on what he's seen from the tape, so... That'll make it that much more interesting. It's a surprise for all of it's us. It's a surprise. Can't wait. And we and we can only imagine what Alex will have in store in game time a little bit later on in the show. And uh, Brandon Bear, the mountain of a man, mountain of a man, yes. will be the interview on this week's podcast. And of course, your questions on mailing it in. Some uh, good discussion coming up about the offense and what needs to improve moving forward. But first, what we liked from Sunday's win in our three and out. One, two, three, three. three. Now it's time for three and out. All right, three and out. Each of us will take a different topic, something that we liked from the game, and kind of delve into a little deeper. Pope Francis, would you like to kick things off? Sure. You know, it was, like I said earlier, it was it was really good to see the development in all three stages of the game, particularly in the run game, because that was such a an issue for Eagles fans and then also just for the Eagles, for the team in general. This is a team that runs through the, the ground attack and seeing them be able to run pretty consistently against a very tough New York front 
was really good to see. You know, I thought that up front they executed far more consistently than we've seen in the first two weeks. They got better blocking from the tight end position, I thought, in the ground game. The guards were far more consistent. I thought that there were, in the second half, there were some issues that popped up. And, more, and it's again, it was just more of that, instead of saying it's one thing, it was, you know, one guy missed a block here, another guy missed a block there. And that led to some negative gains. But overall, it was really, really good to see the ground take a turn for the better. Didn't seem like there was as much of the guards pulling. No, there actually was none. There was, they didn't run the sweet play once. I don't know if that was part of the game plan just because the Jet they felt like the Jets would be able to stop it or if they just wanted to get away from it for this week. Whatever the reason was, they it was good because they went to the outside zone play. And I would imagine one of the reasons they went to that outside zone play was you had the Jets, one of two ways they get pressure up front. They either condense that front and almost like a bare look where they've got three defensive linemen right over yep. the guard, center guard, or you've got all that A-gap pressure. We've talked about the double A-gap, the triple A-gap pressure. You run those outside zone looks. Now you're almost you're out leveraging the defense and using that their aggressiveness against them by they're rushing up the middle, but now you're sending that ball to the outside. So they were able to get a lot of big plays on the outside zone. So I love that love off tackle runs. It seemed like so some slight tweaks schematically. Nothing you know overwhelming because obviously you can't throw out everything that you've worked on up to this point. But right. some subtle changes that certainly I think made a difference. And more under center too. I believe I, I charted it. I don't have the numbers on me, but I I want to say go back 30, to the lab. It was thirty six runs total that I charted, and twelve of them were under center. So a third of the runs last week it was twenty five percent jumped up to a third this week. So I think that was that was an interesting you know thing to watch. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it was so much better from under center to shotgun, but definitely interesting to see. All right, uh, Alex, we'll let you take the defensive side of the football and the uh, performance the boys did against Ryan Fitzpatrick and company. I thought it was a really good showing, as we've already we already touched upon it earlier, but a really good showing from the defense. And I feel like one of the terms that's been thrown around so often this year has been ball hawks. Oh, they're a ball hawking defense. And I think it was Byron Maxwell who said it before the season started that this group could be ball hawks. But they have been. They have five interceptions as a team, which I think is third in the NFL behind only Arizona, I think, has seven. And they got four of them yesterday off of mm-hmm. Kaepernick. Right. And Denver has six. And Denver's defense has been outstanding. So if you're up there with the likes of those defenses, I think you're in pretty good shape. But another thing that me and C-Mac were talking about earlier is that I think Walter Thurman might be the most underrated move that the Eagles have made. I think he's been tremendous in moving him to safety, which was something that I don't think any of us expected when they first signed him. Um, a guy who was hurt with the Giants. We, we knew he had talent. We knew that he had familiarity with both the Seahawks and all the great things that they've done and also with uh, Chip Kelly coming from Oregon. But Walter Thurman is just, he always seems to be around the ball. Had that amazing interception off the uh, tip from uh, Brandon Marshall. But uh, he was tremendous. Malcolm Jenkins had two forced fumbles and they were on two fluky plays, which were both not smart plays by Brandon Marshall. Of course, he had the lateral, which he called the dumbest play in NFL history. And then he had another one where he was kind of spun backwards and he fumbled the ball out of bounds and it didn't really matter. Matter, but two force fumbles from Jenkins and then Eric Rowe, who is guarding Devin Smith. You know Devin Smith's going to be the deep threat on that team, and he hung with them two times. He had a great pass breakup on the first play, and then he had the interception later. Just a really big moment for him. So I think we've seen a lot of good out of the defense to this point, and as Fran said, I think that was the best the secondary has played in a long time for this team. I think that that was an area that I was most impressed with was, you know, the we hadn't seen Devin Smith on tape because he had been hurt all preseason in the first two weeks. You knew what kind of game-breaking speed he had. I think everyone knew, like, okay, this guy was one of the stars of the 
combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a huge vertical threat for Ohio State last year. You saw Nolan Carroll. You saw uh, Eric Rowe. Both guys be able to work. And they the most impressive part was they trusted their technique. With it, you know, they got beat initially, but both guys were able to work to get back in phase, then look and find the ball. Uh, Eric Rowe broke one pass up and had the interception, like you mentioned. Both of those plays, he was able to work himself into position, then turn and find the ball. As Peaches would say, it was textbook technique. Very well done by both guys. How many snaps was it? Fifteen that Eric Rowe finished ended up playing because it wasn't that many. I believe many. it was eighteen. I believe yeah. it was eighteen. It was in the teens. So for his first oh. outing to have two impact plays like that, big big effort on his part. The thing I that stood most to me is just guys stepping up when needed. Demarco Murray injures his hamstring during the week of practice. Ryan Matthews hadn't been used much in the first couple of games and really there hasn't been much of the run game overall the first two weeks of the season but so ryan matthews gets the start he's the bell cow back and he delivers with 108 yards on the ground and the 23 yard touchdown reception got the ground game going helped get the offense going and was a big spark for them and did a phenomenal job he ran with the anger the violence that we saw in the preseason looked very effective getting out to the edge did a good job of getting downhill quickly did a good job converting to short yardage gains. Uh, just overall did a great job moving the chains and keeping the offense on schedule, as Fran likes to say. That's right. The big run, actually, I forgot to bring this up earlier. The 27-yarder. Uh, the 27-yarder. It's an unbalanced line. Had, really? I was you, you know, I was wondering if they had, were going to pull it out. Yeah. I did not see that. They, so. uh, they had it, I want to say it was three or four times during the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. They ran twice and threw twice. Both times they ran, they ran away from the strong side to the tight end side. Now, my thinking is typically when you line up with those two offensive tackles to one side, you'll see the D line shift the other way. So now you're taking the Jets D line, which everyone said, you know, obviously was a big strength of their team. Mm-hmm. You're moving them away from the, the direction of the play. They're shifting the secondary over to that side because they've got two pass catching options and Ertz and Selleck over to the other side. So now you're running into the secondary as opposed to running into Muhammad Wilkerson and Damon Harrison. So that 27 yard run was an unbalanced line look. Very, very nice uh, call there. Defensively, Jordan Hicks. I can't say enough good things about the rookie in it's his first me look career great. start. I mean, <laughs> not just it's not just the play on the field, but the mental aspect. Where in the dime package, he was the linebacker calling the shots. Yep. He's getting everything set up. You know, I'm not going to have broken down every single play, so I don't know if he was out of place at any particular time, but it sure didn't seem like that. It seemed like he was always around the ball, always where he needed to be. Didn't look confused or phased or, you know, the moment wasn't too big for him whatsoever seemed like that he was ready for for prime time so to speak and for the eagles to have that trust in him and for hicks to step up this quickly because again this was a situation where all training camp preseason it was like you know jordan hicks will make an impact on special teams mm-hmm. but you've got kiko you got kendrick's you got D'Amico. we're not going to need jordan on defense yep third all- game in the season he's starting <laughs> yeah all we said all offseason and in the preseason training camp was jordan hicks has a ton of talent he's going to be a huge part of this defense a couple years down the line yep. he mm-hmm. may not contribute right away but now i look at him and he's just the way that he played and in the tuesday edition of eagle eye i'll be touching on some of the little things that he did well not necessarily on the tackles because he was the you know i think he led the team in tackles 10 tackles, correct. Some of the other little things that he did that was uh, really impressive. And talking about him setting the defense, he was asked about it after the game, and he said that, you know, it's really helped him to have all the veterans around him, and that makes things so much easier. Obviously, learning from a guy like D'Amico as he kind of becomes the Simba to Mufasa, as Mm -hmm. everyone's been saying. The impressive thing was that when D'Amico wasn't I want to throw field, a pen at you for saying that. <laughs> well, the players <laughs> have said, said that. I know, it's I know. I was, I was going to say, if he didn't don't, say that, I was about to say it. Don't, so. don't shoot the messenger here. I didn't <laughs> yeah. come up with it. I'm just, All right, well, you go throw the pen at Bo Allen, okay? Because he's the one <laughs> yeah. who said it first, apparently. So. I'm, I'm just stating what I heard. But, you know, he, he credited all the veterans around him, but 
but then the veterans weren't necessarily with him when he's all alone in the dime package of course calling out the plays it's it's extremely impressive so i i mean he was awesome so we touched on eric rowe and the job he did stepping in there after marigos got injured and then brandon bear i mean this is a guy who we joke about his age you know he's only 30 years old but because the defensive line is so young I think all the key players are 26 and under still mm-hmm. at this point. You know, we look at Papa Bear Papa as Bear. like the you know the old man on the line, but he's the one making his first career start at left defensive end because of the injuries to Cedric Thornton and Taylor Hart. And Brandon Bear did a heck of a job, held up great against the run. You know, certainly the Jets wanted to try to keep the pressure off Fitzpatrick, didn't want the game in Fitzpatrick's hands. Chris Iversey obviously didn't play even though he was active, but still the bread and butter of the Jets offense was to try to control the ground game. Weren't able to do so. And I believe the Eels defense now is the league leader in uh, yards per carry. I believe it. That is correct. At this point. 3.11 yards per carry. Leads the league. In well th- done. Through three Stats, games. Only. Stats only. Stats only. Well done. So you have that and then the batted passes. You know, that showed up easily. So three batted passes from him, uh, the knack that he showed in being able to uh, knock those down. Huge impact. You know, I was disappointed because obviously Taylor Hart's played very well the first couple of games, and yeah. you were thinking this was his chance to mm-hmm. kind of establish himself. And he might have a chance this week. Or and next he week. may. Yeah. And he may. But Brandon Bear, though, you know, was inactive for the first two games, thrust into action, and I thought did a remarkable job. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that we've talked about, the depth on the defensive line. And obviously losing Seth Thornton, if they were to lose Fletcher Cox for any period of time, would be you know tough for this defense. But yes. when you've got guys like Taylor Hart – and Brandon Bear that can step in and play at a high level. You saw Vinny Curry slide back into the defensive end spot and mm-hmm. get some reps there, uh, not just in the sub packages, but on some base downs and, and penetrate the pocket and close the pocket down on Brian Fitzpatrick. You know, they've got great, great depth at that position. It's just, you know, it, it gives them great flexibility. Do you have the snaps in that one? I do not have the snaps, no. I think I Bear ranks second among the defensive line in snaps, only the Cox. It. I believe it. So, outstanding effort by him. No question. So, it's only fitting that this week he is the interview. So that's going to do it for 3 and Out. Now let's welcome in Papa Bear, the mountain of a man, for this week's The Interview. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, The Interview. All right, everyone, welcome to The Interview here on the Eagles Entire Podcast. My special guest this week, defensive end Brandon Bear. Brandon, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's glad, I'm glad to be here. What is your favorite moment? I mean, this is a big picture question, not football related. Gotcha. What's your favorite moment in history? Wow, real I'm big going, picture. I'm going. I'm going deep on you. Real big. We're picture. going deep here. Yes. Whew! I got. I got four of them. Four of them. Okay. I, I know. I, you said one no, greatest fine. moment, but no. I got four of them. Let's go. Let's go with them. The first one was when I married my wife. Okay. And the other three were when my kids were born. Kids are born. There you go. How let's go? Let's go. <laughs> I'm just trying to think like uh, like world history, American history. American history? Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment? You caught me off guard. I was just I'm, saying, thinking, I'm thinking football here. That was the point. I was just trying to catch you yeah, off guard. Yeah. I figured you would say something like the revolution, the civil war, <laughs> and then I was going to make an age joke saying, well, you were there. Yeah. So obviously you would know about that. <laughs> <laughs> of course. How much, how much do the guys get on you? The fact, it's, it's funny because you're only 30 years old. Yeah. I'm pretty young. Right? You are young. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. absolutely. I mean, I'm almost 35, so yeah, I'm yeah. even older than you yeah. are. But in the defensive line room, you're Papa Bear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I've been Papa Bear since I started college. Isn't yeah. that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> nah, you know, it's 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 fun. Everybody always gets after me. Every time there's an article, it starts off with, you know, Brandon Bear, first start at 30 years old. I'm like, why'd you have to put that in there? It doesn't matter. I mean, just first start, well, you know? I, it's 
it's special. You don't usually see guys in the NFL making their first career start at 30 years old. True. All right. So that, I get, I get that's the reason for that. I also thought you might go with the Bill of Rights because you have the right to bear arms. <laughs> I, I don't know how many, you know, bear puns <laughs> we're going to work in here. But those, but those bear arms were very important on Sunday. Yeah, you know, they helped. In the victory. It, yeah, it was good. Getting the knack for knocking the ball down. What, what is the secret? I wish, I, that I, wish I had one. You know, Billy Davis, <laughs> he helps us out the most. He just tells us to go for the throwing arm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I do, you know. And, you know, when you don't, you're not going to get close to the quarterback every time. And heck, how many how many plays do we get on defense? You know, if you get 90 plays on defense, you know, it's a, you've, you've worked a hard day. And if you get to the quarterback once, you've had a great day, right? Exactly. You know, and the reverse side for an offensive lineman, you know, they can have 88 great plays and they give up one sack and it's a horrible day for them. That's what you love about the position. You, you know though, what I mean? You know? And so for me, you know, it's not it's not necessarily my knack of getting to the quarterback, but but I've got long arms and I can at least try to disrupt him anytime I get close. And it just paid off. How difficult is it to find clothing to fit those long arms? <laughs> short sleeves are great. You know, that would be short true. Sleeves. And when I get long ones, I just pull them up to the elbow so nobody knows they're too short. So we're good. What was it like for you going to this weekend knowing that you were going to likely start? And the fact that it is, look, it is the first start of your career. You know, I had to kind of keep myself in check a lot. You know, I had a lot of outside noise basically from family saying, hey, this is really neat. It's a great opportunity. And, you know, I had to agree with them. But at the same time, my wife kept asking me, why aren't you so excited? Why aren't you, are you hyped or anything like that? I'm like, no, I'm just going to prepare the way I do every week. And when my opportunity comes, then I can go out and just play. And I haven't psyched myself out or ex put expectations too high. I can just go out and do what I've prepared to do. How did you mentally keep yourself ready and prepared, knowing that you didn't play those first two weeks of the season? Well, those, that might have been a little extra motivation, you okay. know. Um, I know that there was some changes within the way that we do our pregame warm-up if you're not going to be playing. Um, and I stuck with my exact same pregame warm-up. Um, really? Coach Mike Dawson and I, we did the exact same pregame warm-up with me that I would if I was going to be playing. And I did that on purpose in case I got an opportunity then I didn't have to change my routine. I didn't have to come back and start over. Um, so I just did things like that. You know, I worked with the, with the ones and twos in practice. And, and I've rotated in all those first two weeks anyways. And so it's not like I'm behind in terms of the game plan or anything like that. So I really didn't change a whole lot. And from a mental standpoint, I just prepared the same as much as I could and tried to stay focused on the task at hand. What did you think coming out of your first career start, having the performance <laughs> you did? You know, that, that's, um, I thought it was pretty neat. You know, I had, I had a really fun game. People kept saying that was a game of your life. I said, well, it was my first game I ever started. Yeah, it was yeah. a game of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> but, yes, but it was more just opportunities. You know, I was on the field for, I think, 43 plays and I had a chance just to be out there and be part of something longer. Normally I sub in or rotate in. Last year, I'd get five to 10 plays a game. Um, not much time to get into a routine, just, just time to play the role that you have and give the guys a break and still be productive. Um, but this was an opportunity to do something a little different. It was, it was fun. How different is that getting into the routine? And being more in the flow of the game, you know, I think I think of all the snaps, I think you're second among all the D linemen. Well, I, I think back to the last time I played a lot was in college, and you get to know the guys you're playing against. You know, my first couple pass rushes were horrible. I was like trying to go around the edge, and that's just not my thing. And I realized, okay, this isn't working. You know, I tried it yeah. a couple times, and <laughs> when you're in there enough, you can get the feel for the guy you're playing against. And so, okay, this isn't working. This isn't working. Let's try something different. And I had enough time to be in there to switch things up, and it ended up working out where I could get to the quarterback and get some pressure on him, get my hands up. Um, whereas when you sub in, sometimes you don't have all that 
time to do it. It's it's more of I got to make the most of what I have, and I can't really get a feel for this guy because I'm not going to come back in for another ten plays. You know. So what's the go-to move then? What's the one that worked the most? <laughs> the bowler's just I'm just going to go right at you. And with, well, with this with this um, quarterback and offensive line, it was really just to squeeze the pocket. You know, running over the top. He was a mobile quarterback, so if you give him a gap to run up inside of, he would run up the middle. You know, he could move pretty well. And so we more just kind of squeezed the pocket, put pressure in his face, tried to make him make the big plays, and at the same time disrupt the, the throwing lanes. So There were times when the uh, tight end Cumberland was responsible for blocking you, and is there a moment <laughs> where you're just like, really? Like, well, like come, I know there's no game tape for me from this year because I haven't played yet, but well, seriously. Well, you know, and, and you don't ever want to take it to a guy personally. But <laughs> tight ends in general, let's just do tight ends in general. Yes. Obviously, as D linemen, when we get a chance to – have a tight end against us, you know, we kind of lick our chops and get excited. Mm-hmm. And when you look up and the guy looks at you and the hurry looks down real fast, you know something. <laughs> he's going to have to block you or something and just kind of get you a little excited. You guys want to make the icon and he's like, oh, no, not this time. <laughs> Do you just look at the jersey number of the guy's blocking and you're like, oh, if it's in the 80s, then you know you're in trouble. Well, this is... You can tell by the size most of all. You don't need to see the jersey number at all. <laughs> you, you just know? see that slender frame. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, okay, you know. 6'5", 250, you're if, like, yeah. If he this. blocks me, it's worse on me than me beating him. Of course. You know, so that's kind of the mindset. Like, I got to play my best, my best snap right here. <laughs> so what happens in the film room when that does happen? And I'm not saying it with you, but I, say of the I, other I, guys. I don't know. I have Obviously, it hasn't no, happened just, for you. I'm yes. I'm just joking. But does that come up no, in the film room where, you know, you know Titan might make a chip block or something, and it's like, Fletch. Vinny, you know, how, how'd you let that happen there? <laughs> well, chip blocks, that's a whole nother ball game. True, you know, when you see true. a tight end lined up just outside there in a two-point stance, you got to be alert that he's going to come down and chip you a little that's bit. Fair. That's but, fair. Uh, and that's normally how tight ends will try to block you. They'll line up in a position where they can just position block you or get in your way or just knock you off your course. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do they try to take you one-on-one. And when they do, it's a long day for somebody. So. Uh, Connor Barwin, he had the one pressure where he did the little fake where he <laughs> – what was it like watching that on film? Well, you know, the thing about Connor is that he practices everything he does in the games. So it's just neat to see him actually execute that kind of stuff that sometimes people give him a hard time for. Like, that's never going to work. But then, you know, it came wide open. It was clear. You know, the guy fell for it. So he, he, pla- he practices. He prepares for everything. And he works really hard at it. And so it was fun to see those kind of things. So did he, was he out there on a practice field, like actually like doing that fake move, that little like head fake, and then going up there? And you guys are like, we've seen, like really? We've seen him do it before. But, uh, I mean, that one worked great. You know, that one worked great. And he'll probably tell you he's probably done it his whole career. And to get one of those to come free, you know, it's few and far between. So he's pretty excited about it when you were at Oregon to save money and I know Oregon makes a lot of money with sponsorship with Nike <laughs> Nike's an Eagle sponsor so I can mention them mm-hmm. did they save money by using you as a fly swatter a fly swatter yes as we went for bigger things more like you know you'd swat down you know other flying objects I can't say ducks now I was gonna say no that, no, but no. You know. no but you know how the they have <laughs> they, for the offense here they have the seven on seven drills yeah, yeah, and yeah, they, and have, they wear yeah. those big yeah absolutely we call, yeah. Them, we call them fly swatter I don't know what you guys actually call them but we've always referred to them as fly swatters were you like just a human fly swatter at Oregon <laughs> so no. instead of having to get equipment like just put Brandon Bear out there and <laughs> well next time you talk to Chip you can ask him how he feels about defensive linemen batting down passes during practice I'm uh, not very happy no no he, no it's, it's it's you stay away from that the fact that practice. he's smart enough to come up with a device to take advantage of those reps, <laughs> knowing I can't have defenders out there. I can't have a D-line out there, so I'm going to substitute. A- with. A- absolutely. Well, and the, there's two sides of it because we're hurting our own, you know, our defensive backs. If we're batting down passes at the line of scrimmage, we're not giving them the chance to work in practice as well. So that's why you, you know? don't do it all the so time. So in, yes. in practice, you don't, you don't do it. But in the game, it's like, he, you know, you kind of the reins are let go. And we can just go do our thing. <laughs> so being able to bat down passes, you batted down some kicks as well last <laughs> year. 
it's going to present an opportunity where you may be able to return something for a touchdown down the line. Cross, crossing your fingers here. Hey. And you haven't scored a touchdown, I was re- recalling, since high school, is it? When you were a tight end? Yeah, an actual touchdown. I've scored two-point conversion. Touchdown. Yeah. At Oregon, correct. Yep. You scored a two-point conversion. Yep. Yep. That is correct. Your last actual touchdown was in high school as a tight end. Mm-hmm. Is Have you ever thought about if I ever get in the end zone, so you've got the first star out of the way, you're you know you're you're entrenched on the Eagles roster. Now you start thinking big picture. You're like, you score a touchdown. Is there something you have planned? Have you thought about something? <laughs> you know, I, I would probably be the most boring end zone touchdown there is. Yeah, I just give the ball to the ref and leave. You know, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Could you do the whip? No, I don't. I, I do <laughs> you, you you have three dollars at home. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm I'm sure they know all the dance moves. I'm they they don't practice them with you. They don't show them. Yeah, I'd look what, silly out there dancing by myself, though, wouldn't I? I mean, that's what I I don't know. That's what the guys. I think do I'd look silly. Office. I think I look silly when I dance with my daughters, but that's you know, nobody <laughs> can see it, so they they love it. I don't know what I do. We'll we'll uh, we just let's just worry about you know stopping the run and we'll worry about that from there. I just remember last year on the podcast with Chris Maragos on, yeah. and we presented the same scenario. Mm-hmm. What happens if you score your first career touchdown? Well, what happened? He actually scored one yeah. in the game against the Rams last year. And he said, oh, I've got this dance plan. It's going to be awesome. You won't believe it. And he said that he just blanked. He got in the end zone. <laughs> he got and he like, he like started sliding his legs. And I have no <laughs> clue what he did. Something took over his body. And it wasn't what he had in mind. So he's already like, well, you know, next time I get in. It's no. like you got, you got the one. One opportunity, you got to take advantage of it. You know, I'll just turn and like pass it off to Vinnie Curry or one of those guys. With That's me, an you know, idea. And I'll just be like, "Hey, you know, it's your turn, and let him do the dance." <laughs> you know, and then it it look cool like we planned it and everything. So, so another thing that you are among your many talents is an actor. Nike yeah, did a hype video. Yeah, yeah. And they brought all the you know Rachel mm-hmm. Morgan. They they recreated the Animal House scene. Yeah. And lo and behold. You're in the video. Yeah, it's like the backdrop back there. You're the biggest guy. But you can't be a backdrop this day. <laughs> what was that experience like? How, how did that come about? You know, that was fun. I um I wasn't going to go do it, but my brother was playing for Oregon at the time. Okay. And he played in that Rose Bowl when they played Florida State. And Nike called up, I think it was the day before, two days before, and asked if I'd be interested and that they could get me there in time to watch the game. And so more of it, I took advantage of it, the opportunity for them to fly me out there. I got to see my brother play. <laughs> I'm glad I did. It was his last football game he played yep. in. So I got to go out. I seen that game. And then the next day, we spent you know most of the day just s- listening to the shout song over yeah. and over and over again. But it was, it was fun. It was a fun experience. How many, I was going to say, how many takes do they have to do to make that happen? I mean, well, they'd been doing them all morning. So they brought in Otis in the nights, you know, early in the day and did their portion of it. They'd brought in Joey Harrington early in the day and LaMichael, James, and Kenyon Barner. They did theirs earlier than me. And then I came in with the big group there at the end and and we did our parts for a while. Um, it, it, it was cool. I mean, they, they, we were there for like three hours of just, you know, changing the cameras. Once they do a take, then they move the cameras around. Mm-hmm. Then they do another take of the same song. They move the cameras again because they had to get each individual person for a little bit. Of course. But it was a neat experience because, like, we each had our own changing room. It was like a Hollywood, you know, it was, it was down there in Los Angeles. And you got to go see all the, the experience of making a movie and how it was done. So it was, it was fun. It's one of those things where you see the final product and it takes like a minute. Yeah. But then <laughs> you see what goes into it. And you're like, how do I do this? So it's like, how many times do I have to listen to the shout song? How many times do I have to dance? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, while you were at Oregon, obviously you guys scored so much that of course they had to play it a bunch yeah. of times. Mm-hmm. But in this scenario, you know, it's not exactly what you expected. 
what was it like being called Mountain of a Man when they had all the nicknames? <laughs> was that something that you came up with? Or no, was no, it? no. I think it was they just didn't know what to say about me because everybody <laughs> else had like all these stats, you know, all-time leading rusher, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, and they just went through all these stats, and then they got to me and they were like, mountain of a man you know it just fit you know it worked it worked and so we just yeah they couldn't say like current philadelphia eagle because you never know how the the nfl works and they can't say nfl player because eventually i won't be you know it's there's so many different things and so they're just like "Mm, let's just go with mountain of a man so we liked it what's going on with oregon football it's a good question good question you know i I didn't even see the last game and i'm kind of glad i did yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh I don't even have the inside there anymore. My brother, you know, this was his last year was his so last year. So he's gone. Well, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and he, he made the decision. This would have been his senior year. So he made the decision. He'd already graduated. They weren't going to play much this year. So he said, you know, I'm going to move on. He went and got a job. And now he's, he kind of turned back to me and said, you know, I kind of don't regret that move. <laughs> Barely worth watching. Say, say, we're going another bad pun. Yeah. Uh, when you were on the podcast last year, we were recounting all the different businesses you own mm-hmm. off the field. Um, you had a car dealership. You own a, like a sports complex. What what else am I missing here? I'm missing a, I'm missing like four of them. You're doing so. pretty good. I got a farm and cattle. Farm and cattle, yes. You know, rental properties. You know that kind of stuff. So, have you added any more? No, I'm I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna be doing some downsizing. You know, I'm gonna sell off a few things. You know, re <laughs> just move things. I'm I'm definitely doing business moves. You okay, know, just, just different within itself. So, uh, looking ahead to this weekend to Washington. How great was it for you guys to finally get on track to get the first one under your belts? Now you look forward to another NFC East opponent and the opportunity to go two and two on the season. Yeah, you know, obviously getting that first win out of the way was huge for us. Um, it, the morale of the team, everything's just better. Guys come into work um, with their spirits a lot different. You know, we can go out work hard, um, and obviously the goal is just to win every game that we get an opportunity to play in. And so we come out next week or this week against Washington. Um, all our focus is there right now. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're getting ready to put in installs and and see how things are going to work we'll start a lot of that in the morning and um just it's a different style for us we're playing against more of a stretch team against washington than the inside zone type of team we played against uh, with the jets and so it'll it'll present its own challenges but you know our first two teams we played were stretch teams and so it'll be good for us to go out and work hard to 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 get a win in that scenario what are the differences what are the challenges that the stretch will present versus well, your, your, your stretch teams are your, your offensive line they just turn they run sideways you don't know if it's a boot if it's a stretch play you have to be you, know, you still have to run with them you got to be patient but you have to be sound in your your responsibility because they just want somebody to backdoor somebody to leave their gap open and then that just opens up a hole so that's all they wait for they, they run 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 and a hole opens up and they take advantage of it so you still have to play really sound in your responsibilities in a stretch team you guys are number one in the league in yards rushing allowed per play this season what is the biggest key to the success there you know I just think it's we've been consistent with what we do in our training you know you we haven't changed anything in terms of the way we play up front from this year to last year to the year before the only big difference is I guess we've been together for three years now the group the main group has so you know I it's early in the year. We got a lot of work to do. We we feel like we've been giving up too much, so we're not satisfied with the number we've given up. Obviously, we want to do better, so we'll just you know we got to keep pounding away at it. Difference been you've been in there. You're starting. Well, that's that, the that key. Was, that was one game. One you know, game. You know, I was able See? to contribute for one game, but you know <laughs> our guys are going to be back soon enough and playing and, and healthy. So we just got to all of us together have to continue to make a difference. Brandon Bear, thank you very much for joining us here on the interview. Best of luck the remainder of the season. No problem. Thank you. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for Enemy Intel. 
It is time to break down the X's and O's here on Enemy Intel. So for that, we bring in the expert at breaking down the film, Fran Duffy. Uh, Fran, a couple of really interesting matchups here to look at uh, with the Eagles in Washington. Uh, first things first, I think the biggest news for the Eagles is Andrew Gardner, uh, a foot injury just placed on IR. Um, so without Gardner in there, looking at that Eagles O-line versus a tough Washington front, maybe not as tough as it was last week against the Jets, but but still a good group. Yeah, they've got a lot of beef up front. You know, you got Terrence Knighton, Pot Roast, another uh, another Temple made defensive lineman here for the Eagles. Where uh, does Pot Roast rank on NFL nicknames? Uh, it is clearly in the top five. It's very good. It's it's awesome. Uh, he didn't have that at Temple, unfortunately. But uh, no, he. I mean, just watching a guy that's that big and then move the way he does, it's really impressive and uh, just really hard to move at the point of attack when you're trying to just block him one on one. So that'll be a really tough test for Jason Kelsey on those uh, on those rundowns. Uh, you've got Jason Hatcher, who has been a productive player for the Dallas Cowboys in the past uh, and is now in Washington. Steven Paella is the defensive end there uh, on their base downs. He slides inside a nickel. And, you know, really just uh, the depth along this front, too. I mean, Ricky Jean-Francois uh, is there. Chris Baker, who Eagles fans are very familiar with now oh, after yes. what happened last year. Uh, they've got a lot of guys up front that they rotate in and out. Uh, and then even on the edges, you know, the you know Ryan Kerrigan, uh, Trent Murphy, Preston Smith, these guys aren't natural bend-the-edge pass rushers that you're worried about, uh, you know, threatening off the corner, but they're good run defenders. They're stout. They're long. Uh, they hold up well at the point of attack. So it's a tough test. I mean, look, the the Washington's, the Washington Redskins are ranked uh, – where are we at here? They're ranked third in the NFL at 75 rushing yards allowed per game. So uh, it's a tough group. But then on the other hand of that, you have the Eagles who have one of the best run-stopping groups – at, uh, they only allow 3.11 yards per carry, which is the best mark in the NFL. Um, so I, I know, were you surprised to see how well the Eagles ran against the Jets last week? And do you expect that to be as much of an emphasis this week? I wasn't surprised to see them run that well. I thought that, uh, and it was a, something we talked about actually right here uh, on the, in the Enemy Intel uh, segment on the Eagles Insider podcast, was just the, the I thought that there would be uh, opportunities for the Eagles to run the ball against New York just because of the way that they play. So when you run interior pressure, there are uh, opportunities for you to be able to run outside. And they saw that with the outside zone. They were able to get a number of big runs off that uh, off that scheme, especially against that interior pressure. And then also, when you play with two high safeties, that gives you the un- a numbers advantage there in the box that uh, the Eagles were able to take advantage of a number of times. I do think that the, uh, that the Eagles will be able to have some more success this week. The Jets uh, are definitely stronger up front than Washington is just from a personnel standpoint. Um, they, they are not a big blitzing team, so this is a team that's going to sit back for the most part uh, and pl- do what they do in coverage. They play a lot of cover three. They play a lot of single high safety. So we will see you know, in the, from a numbers perspective how it looks in the run game. But, look, the, the Eagles have had success running against this team before. I don't expect that to change this week. Let's uh, flip the script a little bit here and look at Washington's run game, which has been – one of the best running units in the NFL. I believe they're fourth in the league, um, 143.7 yards per game on the ground. We know what Alfred Morris can do. Matt Jones has been a really nice pickup for them. But the Eagles the Eagles run defense has been very stout. How do you see that matchup shaking out? Well, they've been they've been very good, you know, and they do it with a number of different schemes. You know, they run that outside zone stretch play that we've uh, we've broken down ad nauseum here uh, between, you know, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com over the first uh, over, over the last couple of years. Morris, we know what he is. Matt Jones is a physical downhill runner. He's got some uh, burst to him. I liked him coming out of Florida. I didn't think that he would be a third-round pick, but I wasn't surprised to see him go that high because 
I really liked him when I watched him on tape, uh, even though Florida didn't give him a ton of uh, opportunity last year to succeed. But that's what he is. I mean, this is going to be a downhill run game. Uh, you're going to need to bring your big boy pants when you have Morris and Jones back there running the football. Uh, but again, you've got the outside zone stretch. They run a couple of different gap schemes too, whether it's trap or counter, uh, some power mixed in there as well. So um, you have to be able to expect those inside run plays as well. And, that, and that's really what you're looking at with this group because you've got an offensive line. Trent Williams, we know what he is. He's one of the best left tackles in the game. Uh, they drafted Brandon Scherf in the top 10 for a reason. He's had his ups and downs, but overall that, that's what they brought him in to do is to, to block in the run game. Uh, Morgan Moses was known for his run blocking at Virginia coming out of, coming out of college. Uh, now he's in the lineup there at right tackle. I think Sean Laval and Corey Lichtensteiger – Lichtensteiger is probably a little bit better than Laval. Laval, I think, has more downs than ups, and I, that he's probably the weak link along that offensive line. But overall, it's a stout group, and that's why they're able to move the ball. Darrell Young is another guy who uh, not a lot of teams carry fullbacks anymore, but I feel like Darrell Young always scores against the He Eagles. does, yeah. I think he had a receiving touchdown in the first game last year, and I think he had two touchdowns in Washington. Um, the Villanova grad. Yeah, Villanova guy. He, he's like Matt Bryant, who always hits field goals against the Eagles. Darrell Young always scores touchdowns against the Eagles. Um, well, the other guy, too, that you want to watch out for, uh, and he's become a – I'm not surprised to see this at all because I really liked this kid in college. He was a Florida State grad. Uh, broke his broke his neck, uh, a couple of different vertebrae. I believe it was his junior year in college there. Uh, but really dynamic. Reminded me of Darren Sproles coming out of college. Uh, I believe he went in the sixth round, and that's Chris Thompson, who's mm -hmm. their third running back. Uh, I believe he's third in the team in receiving. They move him all around the formation. Mm -hmm. They do all kinds of different things with him. He'll run uh, routes out of the slot. So Thompson's a guy I would watch, too, as a multidimensional threat. Last but certainly not least, let's take a look at the Washington passing game. And obviously Kirk Cousins has had his struggles this year. Um, but last year against the Eagles was probably the best game of his career. He had 427 yeah. passing yards, three touchdowns here at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, how do you see the Washington passing game with or without Deshaun Jackson matching up with the Eagles secondary, which has been much improved this season? Yeah, well, we've seen far fewer big plays against the Eagles, uh, you know, through the through the passing game. So that that's the big difference. Is last year Deshaun was able to hit on a couple of those uh, those big gainers, those X plays. Um, I don't know that they'll be available to him if he does play. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I'm sure that he's working hard to get back. I know Bill Davis said in his press conference on Tuesday that he was expecting Deshaun to be back in the lineup. If he's not there, this passing game goes through tight end Jordan Reed. And, uh, you know, he's got a very multidimensional skill set. He was a former wide receiver at Florida, and he's got the ability to be lined up all across the formation, whether it's in the slot, in the backfield, out wide as an X receiver in three-by-one sets. Uh, they use him in a number of different ways. They try to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible. Kirk Cousins doesn't care if he's double-covered. The Giants tried to take him away through double coverage. He's still going to force the ball in there. So Jordan Reed is the guy. Uh, if Deshaun's not in the game, Pierre Garçon's a really nice receiver, and I really like Pierre Garçon and what he does from a physical standpoint. But Jordan Reed is the guy you really want to make sure doesn't beat you if you're the Eagles. You just get the feeling that Deshaun Jackson is going to do everything that he can to get into the game. Yeah. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. But like you said, the Eagles defense hasn't been giving up the big play yet this year. So we'll see if that can hold true on Sunday. So uh, that'll wrap things up for Enemy Intel. Nicely done, Fran. Thank and you. now we will move along to game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. So every week in the sound drop, Chris Barletto says, take out your scorecards. It's game time. So today I actually have a scorecard. I don't know if we're going to use it, but he always says to have it. So I brought it. I have the notepad. It should be noted the outtakes on the show 
this week, I think, are far superior than what the final product would be, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we can't deliver that to the listeners so that they could hear it. But exactly. We can talk about it. Yes. I think it might be a good thing that some of the things yes, aren't indeed. caught. But anyway, on to game time. So today, we're going to throw things back. Even though it's only Monday, it's not Throwback Thursday, but we will throw it back to a game that has been played before on this podcast. And since we are playing Washington this week, we go with order in the Supreme Court. All right. So I will list some things off. You guys have to put it in uh, in a certain order. And we will start things off with the Eagles wide receivers. Now, there are a few guys who haven't quite produced the way that I think a lot of people have expected at this point. So put the following players in order of where they will be in receiving yards at the end of the season. Josh Huff, Nelson Aguilar, Riley Cooper, and Miles Austin. Hmm. I would say from... From most to least, most I w- to least, okay. I would go. I'm going to go Aguilar, Cooper. No, Aguilar, Huff, Cooper, uh, Austin would be my guess. Wait, so you go Aguilar at one, Huff at two, Cooper at three, Austin, Austin at four. C Mac, I know you've been a big Josh Huff fan and a uh, Miles Austin fan. I, I'm not getting oh. off the Josh Huff bandwagon. The only thing at this point would be if this hamstring injury is mm. is lingering, a linger. But I'm going to go into this assuming. We don't want to let it linger. I'm going to go into this assuming that Huff will be able to play the rest of the way. He tried to give it a go this past Sunday, mm-hmm. so hopefully it's not a long-term thing. I still have a lot of faith in Josh Huff and his ability, that rack ability. I'm going to put him atop the list. Aguilar, the, the opportunities seem to be there. Coach Kelly wants him involved. I'll put him at two. Miles Austin, they, they keep feeding him the ball, <laughs> but he's got to step up and make plays. Right. So I'm going to put him at number three and add in the fact that I think that Austin's starting to get more snaps and then I'm going to put Cooper at number four. All right. Uh, I'm keeping track. So uh, at the end of the season, maybe we'll come back to this. Maybe I'll just throw it out after the podcast. We, I hope you don't throw it out. We shall see. Well, I Next. hope you don't throw it out. At least go green. Uh, if right, right. I will recycle it. Yes. Moving on. The NFC East. Three teams are one and two. Cowboys are two and one. They're without Dez. They're without Romo. So assuming, of course, that the Eagles come out on top. Rank the, th- the next three teams in the NFC. Give me the NFC East standings. As of the end of the season. The end of the season. Uh, I'm going to go Cowboys 1, Giants 2, Redskins 3. I'm going to flip the Giants and the Cowboys. Giants 1. Giants, Giants, over, Giants okay. over Cowboys, Washington last. Giants should have beaten Atlanta, yep. should have beaten Dallas. They always start slow and then find a way to you know win 6 of 8 to close the season. You know, watching that game last Thursday night, I was like, what, as an Eagles fan, what do I want to see more? Do I want to see Washington or do I want to see New York lose? And I figured if New York loses, they're 0-3, they're done. Washington's kind of hanging around. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kirk Cousins can get it done at quarterback from a consistency standpoint. Nope. D'Angelo Hall, that's a big loss for them to a defense that, you know, I, I like I like the front. Don't know where the pass rush is coming from, but some questions in the secondary. I didn't so. even see that they cut David Amerson until la- mm-hmm. late last week yeah. when I was doing my like breakdown sheet preparing that, and I, saw, like, I was like, "Where is David? Amerson? He's not on the injury reserve list." Like, where? Are we? And I saw I started searched his name, and he was he, was he got cut. picked up by, got picked by the Raiders. Raiders, Raiders yeah. He was a second round pick, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So Dallas uh, fighting Mike Quicks, NC State. That's right, Earl Wolfs. <laughs> now Dallas, look, they got the run game going. Joseph Randall had three touchdowns. Derek McFadden had, had a score for them. They just collapsed late. It could be the Julio Jones effect and just how good he's playing yep. to this mm-hmm. point in the season. Maybe Atlanta Maybe Atlanta's for real. Maybe Atlanta is a team to be reckoned with. They're 3-0 out of the gate. There are all the questions about them, but look, they've got three wins at this point in the season. I just think the Giants are getting Victor Cruz back. They still have got Eli Manning. 
There'll certainly be questions about the offensive line. Eric Flowers missed the last game, but Justin Pugh stepped in. There will be questions about the pass rush, but I think the Giants are a team that you know could get could get scary down here, and uh, you know could be the team to uh, be reckoned with. Yeah, I'm on C-Max side on this one. I think the Giants are. I think they're a better team than the way they're playing right now. But if that offense comes together once Cruz comes back with Beckham and with Eli at the helm, you know they're a team that can get hot at the right time and. We'll see what happens, but I think that they're probably the Eagles' biggest competition right now because of the way that things have shaked out with injuries in Dallas. I think the Giants are, are the Eagles' best competition. In the and you have, that, you have that schedule, too, with Dallas as well. Sure, kind of yeah, with, the with first the place schedule. Compounded. Yeah. 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 Moving on, the undefeated teams left in the NFL. We'll start with the NFC. You have Arizona, Atlanta, the Carolina Panthers, and as of right now, Green Bay, but they haven't played. They're going to play tonight. But so by how- the time they listen, you know, let's, let's, sure. let's chalk it up. They're going to beat the Chiefs. It's, well, it's at Lambeau. Chiefs have a have a good quarterback. <laughs> That's a great name. A nice name. Yeah. So we'll start with the NFC teams. Of those undefeated teams right now, how do they finish the end of the season in terms of wins? Hmm. Huh. Arizona, Atlanta, Carolina, Green Bay. You know, you look at Arizona, they're getting good play right now on offense. Larry Fitzgerald is playing like it's 2008. Carson Palmer is playing like it's he's, 2007. He's playing like he's playing the Eagles. He's playing like he's playing the Eagles every week. Yeah, yeah. you have, uh, you know, those guys are clicking on all cylinders. We saw what the defense did this past week, even though it was against Colin Kaepernick. <sighs> the problem is that Atlanta plays in a division where they should be able to rack up some wins, as does Carolina, to be fair. Yeah. I would say, if I had to go, I would guess Green Bay won. Mm. Atlanta 2, Arizona 3, Carolina 4. I just think Arizona's playing so well right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I just think Arizona's playing too well right now. And they are in the NFC West, certainly, but they seem to be up to the task right now. We'll see. Everything's clicking for them. Chris, stay healthy. Chris, John, Chris Johnson is playing out of his mind. Yeah. David Johnson. So I want Green Bay, Arizona, Atlanta, Carolina. My only, That was my only thing with Arizona, Atlanta, is you got – I think it, they go, those guys go head-to-head. I'm taking Arizona, but Atlanta's got that division. True, uh, and they're playing a weaker schedule in that division. I that's why I went that direction. So, did both of you guys have Carolina at the at bottom, the bottom? Of the list? Yes. At the bottom, yes, correct. No, I have the, no clue how they're three. No, no, no Cam Newton believers here. No, Bo left a while ago. Oh, that's true. <laughs> he did. <laughs> oh man. Uh, how oh about, man. How about the AFC teams? Okay, Cincinnati, New England, and Denver. So we got Cincinnati. I just New think England. New England is gonna. New they're they're just on a warpath right yeah. now. Is it, I mean, it, it's, is it just the three? Wait, Cincinnati, New England, Denver, anyone else? Those are the three that Those are three, I okay. Have. Okay. I think you got to go New England, Cincinnati, Denver. You have, you look in that NFC, yeah. and the AFC North, Pittsburgh lost Big Ben. Uh, that defense is clearly not what it has been in years past. Cincinnati's got a clearer path. You know, in Denver, the defense is playing lights out. Bradley Roby made a great play last night, one of my uh, favorites from that year in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um the defense playing lights out. The offense hasn't hit full cylinders yet, the run game or the pass game. We've seen Tough. similarities with yeah. the Denver offense and the Eagles offense. Sure, yeah. Needing those offensive lines to come together. Right. The question is, we talked about this last week with the storylines, Peyton Manning, you know, are we going to see him take off or is he grounded? And it's like, well, we're seeing what he is. Mm-hmm. So the question is, when the weather turns and there's no run game. The Eagles are getting better guard play than the, uh, than the Broncos are. They certainly are. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes. According to Pro Football Focus. Um, but I, New England, yeah, New England, Cincinnati, Denver. New England, Cincinnati, Denver. Okay, so uh, I would go. I would agree. agree there. So we have a wash there. Sticking with the Washington theme. Okay. Order these Washington D.C. landmarks in terms that you like them the best. Okay. All right. The White House, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, Thomas Jefferson Memorial, 
and the Smithsonian Institute just for fun. White House, Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, Thomas Jefferson Memorial, mm. Smithsonian right. Institute. White House is number one. Have you been there, first of all? Uh, yes. Not inside. Okay. Well, <laughs> but okay. outside. I've been, I've been in the outside. Uh, right. I would say White House, if only, if not only for the the great scenes that you see from movies such as Independence Day. Oh, I was thinking, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> why is the one that comes to mind is Independence Day? Wait, wait, That's wait, the wait. best thing. Hold that thought. We're going to get there on the next question. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So I would going. say I would say White House, Lincoln Memorial, then Monument, then we'll say the Smithsonian, followed by the Jefferson Monument. Oh, see, I I wouldn't put Jefferson last. I think the Jefferson Memorial is very underrated. I couldn't Just pick the, the Jefferson Monument out of a yeah. line. Oh, really? It's got like the, the pillars. It's got like the columns. And it's, yeah, but it's got a dome on top of it. You're, but ranking against these other landmarks oh. takes a step back. I agree. White House 1, Lincoln 2. So I go Smithsonian 3 because hmm. I can visit and embrace it and enjoy its history. So Washington Monument, go 4, the giant pillar of Jefferson. Yeah. See, I, I think the White House is very overrated. When I saw it, I was just it's like, symbolic. I was, yeah, I know it is. But like when you actually see it, it's like, oh, OK, I have that towards the bottom of my list. I'll go with Smithsonian Institute number one. Just oh, I wonder why. Name. Yeah, of course. Uh, but then of Thomas course. Jefferson, which is a shame that you guys don't know what it looks like. Number two, Lincoln Memorial, number three, Washington, number four and White House, number five. Where does the Capitol building rank in your list? Yeah, I, I left it off. Why did you leave I it left off? it off? Why? There was a list of like 30 items that I could have had on here and I left the Capitol off. Capitol is such an impressive architecture. I've, ne- I've never seen it in real life. That's I will I say that, and not, not that it's my favorite, but the landmark that elicits the biggest emotional response absolutely is the Holocaust Museum. If you've never been, it's never uh, it's been very. I mean, never it's been. you need like a day to recover after going there. It's it's very very emotional. They do a nice job in that museum. Last and certainly not least, rank these movies that take place either partly or entirely in Washington D.C. Okay, and there was a huge list for this one. Oh, I just sure. kind of went through and, and picked some ones that that I've seen. Argo, Burn After Reading, Independence Day, Forrest Gump, Lincoln. All right, we need that list one more time. Okay, mm. Argo, Ben Affleck. Yeah, sure. Never very, saw very good it. flick. Burn After Reading, which I think is the most underrated Coen Brothers movie. Never saw that one. Uh, yeah. Independence Day. Sure, I've seen it. I know every single word of that movie. Learn something new every day on the podcast. Forrest Gump and Lincoln, starring yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. Forrest Day Gump is a weak addition to that list. How many Forrest scenes? Gump, how Forrest many Gump scenes won Best Picture. Yeah, how many, it's a great movie, but how many scenes took place in Washington, D.C.? He goes to the White House. He drinks yeah. Dr. Pepper. But what about so he like, shakes the president's <laughs> hand? Well, he doesn't actually shake it. It's you know it's computer generated. Oh, but my, don't ruin it, Fran. <laughs> How? Uh, I mean, what about yeah the Washington the waiting pool with Jenny where she runs through the pool? Yeah, I mean that's a great scene. Oh, Nothing man. taken. Forrest Gump's an, an excellent movie, but oh man, this is breaking down a different type of film for Fran. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I love movies and TV, so I just I've never seen Burn After Reading. I knew that Burn After Reading was a weird one, but I threw it on there because I like it. Brad, what about Brad the Pitt's movies? What about the movies that just came out? Like, was it last year? The Don't year change the game. The uh, <laughs> what was the one with what's the guy's name from Three Hundred? Oh, um, there White was House two Down. Of them. Yeah, there was two, two that came out. The it same was like White time. House Down and some other one that were the same movie. One was Channing Tatum. <laughs> the other one was uh, Ch- uh, Jamie Foxx was in one of them. I right, think. that was in the Channing Tatum one. What's it called? Mississippi Fall. Ha- Olympus has Olympus fallen. Olympus has fallen. fallen. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. White House Down, Olympus has fallen. I haven't seen either of those two. I saw the other one that wasn't the Jamie Foxx Channing Tatum one. Okay. It was okay. Actually, you know what? I watched it the day that DeMarco Murray had his opening press conference because I was home with food poisoning. And so I was waiting for the press conference to come on. Really? I had some flowers and I was laying like at like a 60 degree angle like on my couch. It was the only way I could be comfortable. And I watched that movie on Netflix. What caused the food poisoning? I don't know. It was a rough ride home from because I came into work in the morning and then had to leave in the middle of the day. 
Um, there you go. To answer your initial question. Yeah, yeah you need to list again. Forrest no. Gump 1, Independence Day 2, Argo 3, Burn After Reading 4. Mm. Uh, there was five movies. What was the fifth? Lincoln. I actually never saw Lincoln. It was a powerful Lincoln. movie. I never I actually didn't watch it. It was yeah. So I'd have to go for I'll put it ahead of Burn After Reading. So okay. that's four and Lincoln's five. Let's see. I'm going to go Independence Day 1. Okay. I mean, it, it had a dramatic impact on uh, my childhood. So No question. Independence Day 1. I'll go Lincoln 2, Forrest Gump 3, and then the last two. I'll just Ar- say Argo, Argo and then Argo Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. Yeah, um, I'll do that. My, my list is very different. See, in, Independence Day, I think, was a little bit... I think it was a little nope, bit too... No, don't say it. I think it was a little bit too young for it. Like, oh, a little okay. bit. I what, was going to say it was a bit overrated. Well, 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 you'll see. Fighting words. I'll go with Argo number one. I think that's a very good movie. Burn After Reading number two, Forrest Gump three, Independence Day four. It comes in fourth on my list. It's a, it's a good action flick, but I don't know. It's it's okay. You were probably five when it came out. Yeah, that's that's the that, thing. That's part and of the problem. Lincoln number five, because I thought Lincoln was a terrible movie. Daniel Day Lewis, really? very good. I think well, Daniel Day Lewis is excellent. He's a great actor, yeah. but that movie eh, kind of boring to me. But there it is. That's the Washington edition of Game Time. So good job today, fellas. I have most of your answers written down. I kind of stopped keeping score towards the end there. But we can we can catch up and regroup. If I'm we trying have to, to re- I'm trying to Google uh, Bill Pullman's speech towards the end of it uh, just so I can close out the segment with it. But another day, another, another day, day. Can, well, another, another Game Time. Go- just Google it while we're transitioning to mailing it <laughs> in. There you go. It's exactly. And you could finish it off. So all right, guys. Very good. Good stuff on Game Time. Now let's move on to mailing it in. Captain. Incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, well, let's transition back to football a little bit here on the Eagles Inside Podcast. It's time for Mailing It In. We asked your question, and it seems like after a win, there's almost not as many questions that fans want to know. Well, I was going to ask, do they just come in naturally for after a loss? Like, do we even need to solicit? No, that's the thing. After a loss, you're just getting bombarded with them. After a win, it's like, eh, you know. I think everybody's just happy that they finally have a win under their belts. We do have a couple here, though. The first one comes from at Boxing with God on Twitter. Wants to know, will the offense ever gel? And to me, my quick response is, what's great about the the way the defense is playing is that it allows Chip and Pat Shermer the time to get the offense together. Obviously, the offensive line has to come together, and we have to find out about Andrew Gardner's status moving forward. Sam Bradford's obviously shaking off the rush. You're working in the new pieces uh, at running back at wide receiver. Yes, I do think it's going to gel, just taking probably more time than I think we expected because of the way they played in the preseason. Yeah, I I think you think back to 2013, and it was the, the first year under Chip Kelly, and how that offense looked in that two-game stretch that Chip alluded to last week mm-hmm. and how they were able to rebound. You look back to last year, that stretch, you know, that, that 49er game uh, and how bad the offense looked that day, and everyone worried, oh, yeah, where's this offense moving forward? Have NFL defenses figured out Chip Kelly in this offense? And then how they looked at the, the latter stages of last year. They're going to get it together. It's, a, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a down spot right now. There's a lot of missed opportunities on the field that if you, yeah. if you hit on those, we're not talking about that today. Now we're talking about, oh, man, the Eagles scored 40-some points against the Jets, you, you you capitalize on some of those opportunities, it's a different outcome. Yeah, I think you're you're starting to see them gel. You saw it in the second half against Atlanta. You saw good offensive production in the first half against the Jets. So if you combine those two halves, you, you have a game. You've got a pretty solid game. But it, it takes some time, especially when you have a new quarterback you know, running the show. It's going to take some time. A new guy in here, you obviously have new faces in the backfield. you got new faces on the line. We've talked about this again and again, all the new faces coming together. But I think w- with the way that this offense works, getting in a rhythm is so key. So, yes. so with all these new faces, that's what's going to take some time. 
but it's it's coming. I think I think you're you're seeing it starting to come together. Well, when it does come together and you can get the tempo going, it's a thing of beauty, like we saw in that game against Atlanta. When it struggles like against Dallas, yeah, that it's one. ugly. Got to flush it, that one. It's really bad. I mean, you just think to Green Bay. I mean, that's the thing is that people think, uh, you know, oh, the offense hasn't put it together yet. This this group. Yeah. You think back to that preseason game against Green Bay, and I know it was preseason, but you've seen the offense do it. Mm-hmm. You've seen them do it in a game setting. So that's what you hang your hat on right now. Yeah. So certainly, I think it'll come together again. It's a good thing the defense has stepped up, but mm-hmm. also credit Eagles' performance against the Jets' defense that was number one in takeaways mm-hmm. and number one in scoring defense. Right. Going into uh, Sunday's game. Second question comes from Barry Beitler on Twitter. Wants to see. Wants to know how are the Eagles going to get Nelson Aguilar more involved? Four catches for 36 yards. I think Chip talked about it today that they're trying to get him involved, and he's Chip said that you know he's he's seen some good things on him on film, and I don't know if it's a problem with getting separation or if you know Bradford's just not looking to go deep and he's he's taking the checkdown routes, but I don't know. I I think Nelson Aguilar it's going to come together for him eventually. I think he handles himself so well every day in practice, and I think it's going to come. We saw what he could do. It was the Colts game in the preseason when he made that nice catch and had the nice run for a touchdown afterwards. It's it's going to come together for him. It's the same with everybody on offense. Everybody just needs to be a little bit more consistent but once once the, the running game gets going as good as we know that it can I think you'll see things start to open up for Aguilar I think you when you have the the struggles that the Eagles have had offensively you don't have as many plays run and when you don't have as many plays run the ball doesn't get dispersed the way that ideally they want it to get dispersed so you know I think that the numbers will come for Aguilar I don't think that he I'll put it this way I don't think he's not getting the ball because he's Nelson Aguilar I think he's not getting the ball because you know in any given pass concept Sam Bradford just decides not to go in his direction exactly. you know, for whatever reason could be something different one play than it is for another uh, maybe he starts on one side of the field and Aguilar's on the other maybe it's if he's running a vertical route it gets taken away by a safety or a corner whatever the reason you know I, I, I don't think it's because oh Aguilar's not playing well he's not getting separation or Bradford doesn't have good chemistry with him you know whatever the the reasons that fans want to pull for that I don't think that's necessarily the case who was covering him for most of yesterday on Sunday I should say Revis yeah, yeah, for a good ch- good chunk. Yeah, one of the best cover corners, arguably the best cover corner. Yeah, so they just weren't they just weren't even looking that way. And I think the game plan was to attack the middle of the field. They figured, right. look at look at who's on the outside. Right. Chip has said that's the best duo of cover corners they're going to see this season. Mm-hmm. And Reeves and Cromarty, I think you just figure it wasn't going to be their day. And I guess Bra- Bradford hasn't shown the the want to go and give his guys chances on 50-50 balls. I mm-hmm. think that's one thing, and it's I think that's part of the design of the offense is yeah. that there are open throws that you're going to have. Yeah, why take 50-50 if you got a 70-30 ball? That's precisely yeah. right. And you also have to figure in, like you just said, the Jets' defense and how good they've been at taking the ball away. Yeah. So uh, it was part of the game plan to, you know, if we hold on to the ball, if we don't turn it over, that we're probably going to win this game. And they only turned it over, I think, one time. And yeah. It was the Ryan Matthews fumble in the fourth quarter. So for the most part, they did a really good job at that. So so I think you're you know, maximizing your chances with the high percentage throws. The downside to that is the perception that, well, guys aren't open. I mean, there are a lot of times where guys just aren't open but Mm. you're gonna you know give your receiver a chance to make a play and you know I think back to the you know I was able to watch some of the Sunday night game Denver Detroit fourth and one and you know Peyton Manning throws it up for uh Damaris Thomas Mm -hmm. one-on-one coverage against Tlaib and Marshall grabs it in or I shouldn't say Marshall uh am I thinking here Thomas Damaris Thomas 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 grabs it and and goes in for the touchdown so that's how it goes. The last question here comes from at Black Souls 23. Another offensive related question wants to know is the offense significantly slower? And I will say yes. It's partly because they have not been able to get the consistent first downs and been able to move the chains and, you know, get that tempo going. But I do also think there are times that as Sam Bradford is getting settled back into playing again, 
he is slowing things down to you know keep things at a much more comfortable rate for him. And I think also yesterday uh, on Sunday, the second half they they wanted to slow it down. Yeah. You know, you're playing with a, a two three two three score lead. You don't want to be going uh, you know 16 seconds between plays, nine seconds between plays. You want to be slowing that down and, and bleeding the clock out, which they did pretty well. Could you imagine if they were just lining up yeah, at 30 right. seconds every time all of a sudden? Well, that's what the Giants did in the first game. That's why they lost right. against the Cowboys. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I think the tempo of this team, is it varies a lot more than it has in years past. And I think that's by design. It, it's a little bit because, obviously, with Sam Bradford, they want to slow things down for him. But I also think it works to their advantage where they're not always going 100 miles an hour. It keeps the defense on their toes. So we saw it. I forget which drive it was, but uh, I think it was when Sproul scored the touchdown, the one-yard touchdown. They got up to the line really quick. They were taking their time for some of the drive, and then they changed the tempo. They got up to the line really quick. They handed it off to Sproles, and he punched it in. So I think you don't always have to go as up-tempo as you have in the past. With this personnel, I think that you can kind of change things up. Yeah, I feel like they, they want to go more up-tempo. And I think when they talk about the depth that running back, the depth that receiver, that's one of the reasons why is because you're going to be you know running all these plays that you want to be able to rotate guys in and out. So it'll be something that'll be interesting to watch as the offense coagulates uh, throughout the uh-huh. Wow. I didn't think I was going to hear that word today. I, I didn't want to throw gel in there again. I'll just go coagulate <laughs> on that one for, for everyone out there. So I think that's going to do it for us here. On the I think so. This podcast. was a very informative podcast today. I learned a lot. Good. I think there's I really only one proper way to, to wrap it up. I would agree with that. Fran? Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here. See, I can't even, uh. I can't even say it right. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Come on, you're talking to the United States people here. This is a time of crisis. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We are fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day that the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Go Eagles.